how does an author like me create a non-fungible book? You've got to establish people who see you as something more than just part of that pool. And that is a perpetual challenge. And Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers. And this is the Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, when are we going to be able to change this intro so that you can say you're the author of the kick-ass new unnamed, right? yet-to-be-named series? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think about that now every time. I'm like, everything's going to change. My bio is going to change everything. Um, but the, the new book doesn't publish until 2019. So I guess we'll, if we're still doing these by then, Steve, we'll change it right around then. <laughs> well, I would miss them if we weren't. So, yeah. Um, I had a follow up question from last week's show. I wanted to ask it last week, but I was afraid that we would go even longer. And I, so I saved it. I saved it for this week. And this is going to be our chit chat. You and I. Two and a half, three years ago, we're having a conversation, and you used the word fungible with uh-huh. books. You said books are fungible, and I, I don't remember whether I vehemently disagreed with you at the time out loud. You know, maybe in my own, it was just in my own mind. I was thinking, "You're crazy. That can't possibly be true." But as we were talking last week about high-speed publishing and, and indie publishing and how quickly people are getting books out, I realized that now I completely agree with you that books are Yay! fungible. <laughs> For our listeners who might not understand what fungible is, it's when... Just like I didn't understand what it was, and I had to look it up after we talked. It's when one unit is exactly equivalent of as the other unit. For example, if you buy one apple, it doesn't really matter to you that one apple is is this apple or that apple, or a barrel of oil is the same, and one barrel of oil is the same as another barrel of oil. So it means that they can be easily, one can easily replace the other. And so my, when I was telling that to Steve, I was saying for a lot of readers, unless they have a specific go-to author that they will actually actively seek out that author's work, when they walk into a bookstore or when they are online searching for something to read, it's like, they just want a thriller, they're going to read a thriller that is maybe close to what they're used to reading. So if author A has a thriller for eleven ninety nine, and author B has one for three ninety nine, well, they're going to go for the three ninety nine one unless author A is someone that they truly love, in which case that author's books are no longer fungible. But for the most part, thriller is a thriller is a thriller. They're just looking for something that is sort of in line with what they're used to already reading. And if the, it's, the more price sensitive they are, the more fungible the books become. And three years ago, two and a half, three years ago, whenever it was we had that conversation, there was no Kindle Unlimited. Ebook prices were... Well, they hadn't stabilized at the point where they had now, so they're sort of they were sort of all over the place. Um, you know, it might be ninety nine cents, it might be two ninety nine, it might be fourteen ninety nine, and you know, on the high end, they still might be eleven ninety nine or fourteen ninety nine. But there was no Kindle Unlimited, and 
without making a conscious decision to change my own reading habits, I read so much through Kindle Unlimited now, and there is so much there that entertains me that I, it, it just changed my thinking on, on the whole fungible term, and I can't think of other than a half dozen people, um, a half dozen authors, some of whom I know and, and would want to support them just to be supporting them. I would want to read the books, but I would also want to personally be supportive of their work. Some of my old favorites, like Lee Child, I haven't read a Lee Child book in two years. I read, I still read all the Prey books, but I don't read them. I listen to them and I get them through an Audible subscription. So it's, it's not like I'm making a, a purchase decision for that book. I've already paid for it because I'm paying so much a month for audiobooks. And I think too, like that, that whole model, um, and I know now we're going to go off a completely different track <laughs> than what the show's about, but that whole model is, it, in a way, it's kind of like how I am if I actually happen to sit down to watch a movie on Netflix or whatever. If I don't like it, I can just turn, stop and go read something else. Whereas when you have to make a conscious purchase decision to buy something, then you're, much, you're a little more invested in um, it needs to be good. So you can go through a lot of um, uh, that was that suck that suck that suck and you don't really care because you didn't pay for it. Um, but when you've paid for something, it better be good. And so um, just in that fungible argument, I think the more the, the 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 more something is available in quantity, the more fungible it becomes. I'm going to push back a little bit on, on what you just said um, because I do think there is. It's not just the money; it's it's the commitment of time. Because I well, this is true. I hate to give up on a book. I just, I, I it's hard for me to do that. So I want to be able to enjoy the book. If it's just dreadful, then I'll I'll stop pretty quickly. But there have been a number of books that I thought were just dreadful, and by the time I get halfway through them, I'm like, okay, I'm I'm kind of digging this now, and I I, I continue to read. So okay. there is a there is a time investment involved and it's the same thing with me for Netflix now. I'll sit down and I'll start scanning through the movies and I'll go, "Oh, you know, I wanted to see that when it was in the theaters, but now it's going to take me 2 hours to watch it and I really don't want to spend 2 hours. I wonder if they have something that's 30 minutes or 28 minutes or something <laughs> I like that." To that so, so well. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's and and maybe it's the whole Netflix model that's just changing the way not just me but lots of people think about all different forms of entertainment where it's um, you know, the music that I listen to now, it all comes through a subscription. I haven't bought a song in, I don't know, five, six, seven years. I don't know. And probably a lot of us are like that. And what that does to carry over from last week, what that does for the, it makes the companies a lot of money, but it doesn't make the producer of the, the creator of the art very much money. So Amazon's rocking it on this model, but I think authors themselves, there's, uh, uh, many more authors fighting for smaller and smaller shares of that um, readership, the, the number of readers and that, out there. I mean, that's an interesting discussion in and of itself. Um, the whole idea of, of of different indie authors going Amazon exclusive so that they can be in Kindle Unlimited or going wide. And, and I understand both sides of it, but I see a lot of people making a lot of money in because their books are in Kindle Unlimited, and that is now its own reading audience. It's it's it like is. it's so Absolutely. it's like you've got Amazon, iTunes, 
Google Books, Kobo, and Kindle Unlimited. And Kindle Unlimited is probably the second largest of those now. Who's the biggest? Amazon. But oh. I'm, I'm actually separating them I, out. In my, yeah, so okay, I mean, like I Amazon purchased eBooks is, is in one category, and I bet revenue, money going to authors, the second biggest tier is Kindle Unlimited. Right. I, don't, then, I, don't have, know, I have no gotta, facts to back that up, but I think that's true. You've got to look at it, too. If, like if you're Amazon and this is the ecosystem that you created, where are you going to put your promotion dollars? You know, if, you're gonna, if you have access to all these readers' email addresses and, and their reading devices and you want to promote something new for them to read, what pool are you going to draw from? You're going to draw from the one that's making you the most money. And so since Amazon controls such a huge portion of the market, of course authors are going to go jump into that. Where else are you going to go? You know, I mean, there are those who choose not to for other reasons. But then look at someone like me. I'm not even an indie author. And somehow I'm like way on the outside of that solar system. And somehow my publisher or me have got to break through that and get, hey, guys, we're over here, we're over here, and you have to pay a lot to read our stuff, you know? <laughs> it's just, it's not, it's not tenable, yes. you know? It's, that's, yes. that's where the whole discussion of fungible goods came from, was how does an author like me create a non-fungible book? You know, it, it, you've got to establish people who see you as something more than just part of that pool. And that is a perpetual challenge. And yeah, totally not the discussion of this day's show. Well, maybe it maybe it should be. I mean, you want to just keep going on this? If you've got more to it, we I mean, could. I, I think Don't it's we have to have that little bzzz, and now here's our discussion, our, our show for the day. <laughs> All right, so how do you – and we had no intention of going this direction on the show. We, we had a listener question that we were going to get to, and so we'll get to that in the next show. But how do you, as an author, create a mechanism by which your books are not fungible? That is the driving question, I think, for every single author in this industry is how do you do that? And I think if there was – no, I'll tell you, if I had that answer, Steve, I would have bottled it and sell it, sold it, and I'd be a multimillionaire by now because everybody wants that solution. But here's the thing is that once a solution actually exists... It won't be those, the solution anymore. <laughs> it's not, exactly. It's like there's only a certain number of people who can use that solution, and then the market then becomes inundated with that, and now we need a different solution for it. I can only say what I've done and not that it necessarily works. I am not making bank here. You know, I'm surviving, but my goal, okay. Would I love to be rich? Yes. My life would be so much easier if money was not a concern. I think every single person listening to this show would say the same thing for themselves, but money aside, my long, my goal is longevity to stick with this. I don't want to just make a million dollars and then, ha, I made my money and go off and do something else. I am a storyteller. This is what I do. And so when I look at it for longevity, I have to push away all the latest gimmicks, all the tricks and tips and gaming the system and algorithms and all that stuff. Techniques, the social media, the use this, use that, just push it away and write the next book. 
and be authentic, my authentic self. I'm not, I, I put so much out there for my audience and those who connect with it, connect. And to them, I'm no longer a fungible good. And it wasn't a mercenary thing where I go, aha, if I'm authentic, then these people will connect with me and then I will matter to them. No, I matter to them because I really am who I am. And there are a lot of people who don't get me and who will never connect with me. And so if I was chasing and trying to create that environment in order to build myself up into something, well, I'd be perpetually chasing because you can't be everything to every single person. So you find your tribe. And so I would say consistency and authenticity and write the next damn book. And I haven't figured it out, anything beyond that. I'm just every day plugging away at it. I'm still here. And that is a, a big part of the argument for those for those indie authors who make the decision to do what we indie authors call going wide as opposed to Amazon exclusive. It's I'm in this for the long term. Amazon can change anything at any day. And they will because they, they have. Something's going to change. Three months from now, something's going to change. A year from now, something's going to change. And it will impact certain authors. So if you... If you make the decision, I'm in this for the long term, then you want to have as many platforms selling your books as possible. That makes, that makes a lot of sense, even if it's to your detriment in the short term. And for some, for, for some authors, it is to their detriment. For others, it, it's not. I, to a certain extent, it, it depends on the genre that you write in. And to a certain extent, it, does, it depends upon the kind of relationship you have with your readers, which is what you were just talking about. Yes, and I agree. So, and so it's like you you haven't made a conscious effort to or have you made a conscious effort conscious effort to form that connection with your tribe? I don't even know how to answer that question because like doing a mailing mailing list is how it started with me and that wasn't even my idea. Somebody made me do it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a very good experience either, but it did force me to figure it out. And I started out thinking, well, I don't have any, why would anybody want to read my emails? What do I have to say? You know, I'm one of those people who just feels like if I'm not the absolute best at this in the whole wide world, well, there's somebody else out there who's better than me that they they can go listen to that person instead. I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't, I guess I don't have my ego's damaged or something. I don't know, but I'm just not one of those people who's like, Hey, you should listen to me because I know it all or, you know, but I, but I started with the mailing list and, and then I found out that people actually did value what I have to say. And so I kept it up and I, I honestly don't know any other way to be than just be me. And I did sort of realize way back then, well, if I have a book come out, cut, that comes out and nobody knows, then they can't buy it. And maybe they do want to buy it. And the only way that I have to let people know is if they are in direct contact with me. And I mean, somewhere around that time where we had this fungible conversation, I think I also said authors are one of the very few industries in the world where they have no concept of who their market is. Like if a manufacturer makes something 
even if they're wholesaling it, they still know who their distributors are and they have a sense of who their customers are. But as authors, we have absolutely zero way to connect with our readership because we've got two layers of middlemen between us. First, we have the publisher in between us. So we're just creating the raw goods. And then the publisher turns it into a product. And then the publisher wholesales it off. And the distributors contain all the, have all the proprietary information of who the actual customers are, what they're buying. And, and so we're like so far removed from our market that unless we somehow bypass that, we have no way to even let someone know that there's a book. We have no input on the distribution channels, no input on any of that. So if Amazon that day decides that the publisher needs to pay $5,000 to get your book in their latest news, um, you know, if you liked, here's this email, and the publisher's like, screw that, this author hasn't brought us enough money, we're not doing that. What are you supposed to do as an author? How are you supposed to even let your readers know that you have a book coming? It's not going to be out in a table in a bookstore because publishers have to pay for that too. And so that's when I realized, well, maybe this mailing list thing actually is important because I may only have half a percent of my readers who are reading these emails, but at least that's half a percent, which is better than zero percent. But I didn't want to be one of those people who all they ever did was contact you when they wanted something from you. So I want to be worth something to people. I want to, to have bring value into their lives. Why, why should they give me anything? Why should they even buy my book over somebody else's book if I never gave them any value? So sure, the stories themselves provide a lot of value, but they're also really expensive compared to you know, some of the stuff that's available. And, and I'm not even talking about, um, about uh, self-published indie authors' uh, books that are less expensive. The big publishers, every single one of them puts out their $1.99 deal. All you got to do is go sign up for BookBub and you'll be in books until you don't even know what to do, do with yeah. yourself for $1.99. How do, I, how do I, as an author, compete against that? How do I get somebody to say, oh, Taylor has a new book coming out and it's crazy expensive, but it's worth it to me to buy that book over this other really popular book that's $1.99 right now. And my only thing is maybe if they know me, Maybe if I've provided value to them for two years in between, when that book comes out, they're not going to be going, ugh, I could get something else for 99 cents. They'll be going, you know what? This person's been amazing to me. Maybe I should go pick that up. And if a, if a small enough percentage of people are willing to do that, maybe it'll make the difference. That's the only thing I've been able to come up with. But I didn't do it thinking, oh, I'm going to, to deliberately set out to do this. It was just like, here, guys, let me gift you. Let me let me help make your lives better in any little way that I can. And would you think of me, please, when my next book comes out? <laughs> so many authors that I see now are still don't make the effort that you make with the newsletter. It's, well, I have a newsletter because I, I need to be able to send something out to people, but I really don't care about the newsletter because I want people to subscribe to my whatever it is at Amazon. Click that little button to be notified when I get a new book. And that's the whole thing again. That's, you're, you're taking one of the benefits of being an indie author and assigning it to Amazon. Yeah, see, I think, 
I think that that's a lesson that I got out of my system real fast, having gone the traditional route, is I realized somebody else has all the power. All I, all I can, I'm just the creator, and like everybody else is making money off of this, and I'm just trying to survive. So why would I then in turn give that power over to someone else instead? Amazon, Facebook. This is why Bookbub. I don't. I mean, you mentioned yeah, Bookbub. Bookbub. People, people are encouraging, and I, you know, I think it's a good idea to encourage your readers to subscribe to you at Bookbub. But I would encourage them through your email list so they're subscribed to you first uh, via but email. Gonna, my one has thing about the email. First of all, I know a lot of authors really push their email lists hard. And I've done almost nothing to promote my email list. And so it's very small in comparison to some authors who have just like tens and tens and tens of thousands of, of subscribers. But I also put a lot of information in those emails. And for some people, they just don't want that. It's too much. Some people, all they want is just to be notified when your next book comes out. And for those people, that's where BookBub and Amazon and such really are handy because they're going to unsubscribe from my list. Because it's just too much that, that comes their way. Those who love it really love it. But a lot of people unsubscribe probably because they never read them. It's just, I, I don't know how to write short. Most of my emails are really long. And who has, who's got time for that, right? So in that case, that's where these other avenues would, would definitely serve their purpose. But I just, um, I don't know. If, if I, like I said, if I could figure this out, I'd bottle it and sell it. Well, I mean, I think you have figured it out, and then it's just a question of how do you scale it? Um, because what you're doing, it, you have formed a relationship with readers, listeners, uh, subscribers to your to your newsletter. You know lots of them. You you chat with them on on social media. Um, we'll get we'll occasionally at the show. I'll get an email, or you know, we share the email address for this show. And I'll get an email, and I'll say, "Who is this?" And you'll say, "Oh, that's so and so. I met I met him uh, three years ago." And I mean, you just you you know all this about him because you have formed a relationship with that person. This is true. And so then it's just a question of how do you scale it, and that's that's the thing that if you could bottle that, then then uh, we could sell it and we could be rich, and um, yeah, then we could just sit around and <laughs> and. Uh, and shoot the breeze on podcasts. <laughs> shoot, shoot the breeze on podcasts and maybe use, have more time to write. Yes. <laughs> All right. So th this, is, this is not what we intended today, but um, I, I think, I don't know, I think it was interesting. I think, I think I hopefully, hopefully you guys will find it interesting. I promise you we will be back to writing stuff next yeah, week. Is... We are going to do that listener question and uh, bear with us as we, yeah. <laughs> as we, uh, chatter our way through the, the the last part of the summer this is two weeks in a row now where we've done just these talking type podcasts without any actionable information in them so guys we're aware of it we're not making this a trend <laughs> all right well thank you for bearing with us and listening and we will be back again next tuesday thanks guys see you then